Small business HR sounds like overkill. I mean, small business HR sounds like small potatoes. But each year, small businesses around the country get sued by former employees or the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, yes, the EEOC, and they end up paying hundreds of millions of dollars. And that's definitely not small potatoes. My next guest explains what you need to do if you don't want your business to be part of those statistics. She's small business HR expert, Lori Kleiman. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Brought to you by Business MO, LLC. Lori Kleiman is an accomplished entrepreneur and business leader who shows executives, managers, and entrepreneurs how to use HR effectively to achieve their business goals. Her programs are designed to provide critical HR updates and best practices to small businesses in bite-sized, easy-to-digest pieces. With more than 25 years of experience, Lori has all the right HR union cards. She's got a master's degree in human resources, and she's been certified at the senior level by both HR certification bodies in the United States. At one point during her career, Lori even founded a business, HR Partners, a boutique HR consulting firm that was then acquired by Arthur J. Gallagher and Company in 2007. Today, she continues to provide practical HR advice to small businesses as an independent consultant speaker. Plus, she's a prolific author, and two of my favorite titles that she's written are HR You Can Use, Five Issues Keeping Business Owners Up at Night, and sort of the companion book, HR You Can Use Companion Tool, Toolkit with Lists, Forms, and Web Links. Actually, it's those five issues keeping business owners up at night that I can't wait to start exploring with her. So let's bring her on. Welcome to Business Confidential Now, Lori. Thanks, Tana. I'm excited to be here. It's a great program, and I'm thrilled to be associated with it and you. Well, thank you. Thank you. I love the way you make HR user-friendly and practical because it's so easy for small businesses and especially startups making their first hire to get tripped up by what they don't know, but they should know in this important area of business. Let's start with what they can't ignore in the hiring process because that's really where Pandora's box opens, the first step in bringing on employees. What can't they ignore? What would you advise a startup or a small business to do when they're starting out hiring their first employee? The main thing when you're hiring your first employee is really to give thought to who you're looking to hire. And one of the things keeping small business owners up at night are the issues that surround discrimination before you even begin to hire those first, that first employee. So, for instance, you have to make sure that you're not putting in a job ad that you're looking for a woman to answer your phone. That would be a huge issue with the EEOC, as you mentioned in the introduction, and lots of other discriminatory pieces that can come up around the entire interviewing process. So that's before you even hire that first interview, that first employee. You have to think about what you're doing to make sure that you are 
not discriminating in the candidate pool to start with. Okay. Now, where else could it pop up? I mean, you've got the job description. What about the... Yeah, you want... So, the process of hiring that first employee is to really start by thinking about what you need before you rush out. Let me give you a great example. Please. I was just at a client last week that I was working with on my HR assessment. And I know that we're giving that to your preferred listeners. We've got that on the site for them. And I went out to talk to this organization and he said, oh, no, we're fine with all of our HR needs. And I said, really, how are your I-9s being completed? And for those listeners that may not be familiar, an I-9 is one of the critical pieces of paperwork that you need when you are hiring an employee. It is the document that gives the proof, if you will, that an employee is both um, eligible to work in the United States. So completing an I-9 is an essential part of new hire paperwork, probably the most important piece that you get. So I said to the accounting person who was handling HR, which is typical in small businesses, are you comfortable with how your I-9s are completed? And she replied to me, what do you mean completed? And I said, what do you mean? (laughs) And she said, well, the person before me said that I just give it to the new hire. And when they give it back to me, I put it in their employee file. Well, for those listeners who are not familiar, there's a section on the I-9 called section two and three. And that's what must be completed by the employer. So when you get an I-9 back from the employee or the candidate, well, the employee, by now they've been hired, you're going to have the employee complete section one, but you as the employer are required to complete section two. And she had no idea that she was even required to do it. Now, that is typical of small businesses because she's an accounting person. We got into this story because you had asked me about job descriptions. And the situation is they needed somebody to just do some very light bookkeeping, do the payroll, that kind of thing for their company. So who did they hire? The woman who lived three doors down, whose children were now out of high school and wanted something to do during the day. Which is fine. You know, those people can be quite capable, fabulous employees for your organization, but you have got to provide them the appropriate training. And had they created a job description before they hired her, they would at least have the talking point. I don't say, especially in a small business, that everyone you hire needs to be able to do all the tasks on a job description. It's not typically rocket science that we're asking some of these people to do, but it is essential that you sit down and document what is going to be needed so that when you call in the candidate, you are able to talk about, do they have these skills? If they don't, would they be comfortable and interested in learning these skills. As it happens, this woman said to me, I really don't want anything to do with HR. I took an accounting position. I want to do the accounting. Um, But this is probably 30% of her job. 
had the job description exist, she might have selected to not do this job at all. So, you know, a lot of the pieces that keep business owners up at night come in on the recruiting. When we talk about discrimination, it comes up in recruiting when you're writing your job ad, when you're asking interview questions, even just in the fact that legally, almost all businesses in the United States need to be able to provide interview space for people who might have physical disabilities. So do you have a place in your office that is wheelchair accessible? Are you able to have an interview in a place where somebody who might be hearing impaired can participate in that interview in the same fair way somebody who has full hearing capabilities could? So all of this comes into play when we talk about recruiting. Well, this is really interesting. You make a good point about the job description needing to be accurate, but let's back up one step. The person creating the job description needs to know that this is necessary for the job. And if they've never heard of an I-9, then how are they supposed to know what's required? Right. Well, listening to shows just like yours so they can get this information. Um, One of my favorite places for small business people is to rely on their industry association. I spend a lot of time speaking at industry associations that target small business owners so that they can go to an annual conference and listen to a presentation by an HR professional who helps give them these tools and explains to them some of these pieces of where they can find these things out. The other thing I like to recommend is Look at somebody who's done HR and other organizations, depending on the size of your company, you might be able to engage somebody who's staying at home today but would be interested in working eight or ten hours a week if you really feel you need that level of help. But I believe industry association conferences, both the regional conferences, I actually speak at a lot of chapter meetings. Next week, I'm speaking to a group of meeting planners just about what do I need to know about human resources. So I really encourage the small business owner to get out in the community and avail themselves of some of these training resources that might be available. Those are good points because as a business owner or even as a middle manager, you have certain responsibilities that come with the leadership of your position. And this certainly is one of them or to be able to rely on somebody who has that experience and to to be able to call them. So this is all very, very good. I want to come back to your I-9s for a second because it does seem you know, for people who aren't familiar with them, that this is just some, oh, some little paperwork thing. It's not a big deal. You just put it in the file kind of stuff, which is like the, the story you just told us. What happens if there's a file full of incomplete I-9 forms? What are the consequences? So the consequences, the penalty that the Department of Homeland Security could assess, they are the government body responsible for the I-9, is $50 per employee per day. So imagine you have an employee working for you for two or three years. 
how many days has that gone uncompleted, they can find you $50 per person. And they are going into small businesses looking for this because it is a place where they find a lot of non-compliance. So you must complete an I-9 on every new hire within 72 hours of them starting work. That is your obligation. And for that form to be complete, they must complete all of Section 1, including signing it and dating it. And then you as the employer are required to complete Section 2. And in Section 2, you will either complete Column A or Columns B and C, and then make sure at the bottom you are signing it, dating it, and entering the employee's hire date. Those three pieces are essential and probably what I see missed the most often. Okay, so now these columns, we're not ordering from a Chinese menu here. These, these columns refer right. to what? How complicated are they to fill out? It's, they're not complicated to fill out at all. They're very specific. They say all you're entering is the name of the document. So an employee to complete an I-9, an employee has to present identification that shows their eligibility to work in the United States and proof of identity. So, for example, if an employee comes in and presents a U.S. passport, that has their picture on it and dictates that they're a U.S. citizen. So you can use the passport as both identity and ability to work in the United States. Many employees come in and give you a driver's license or a state ID card, which would prove identity, and then to prove ability to work in the United States, you either need a social security card or a birth certificate. Now, I will tell you, Hannah, and to everybody listening, on the I-9 form, there is a very easy list of the documents. So it, it, it will be easy when somebody looks at the actual I-9 form to see what they need to collect. All right. Well, that's, that's beautiful because sometimes when people talk about these forms with numbers and letters, it sounds real bureaucratic <laughs> and complicated. And I just, I'm glad that we can just clarify that this is not a big deal. Just read it collect the proper information, check off the boxes, and you're good. Now, what if you do have a file that has a whole bunch of incomplete ones and the clock is ticking and the meter is running? Can you complete them and at least stop the hemorrhaging from getting worse? Yes. Even better than that is that I have found time and time again with the Department of Homeland Security, if all your listeners will take time in the next week to audit their I-9s themselves, put a note in the front of their I-9s that says, on this particular date, I went through my I-9s, I verified what was missing, I updated and corrected them, and now going forward, we're going to do them all properly. I have found time and time again that the Department of Homeland Security looks on that very favorably and they will not come in and find someone for historical errors. So I encourage everybody to, um, to do that. 
to show in good faith that now that you've received this information, you went back and looked at your I-9s to, in fact, ensure that they're proper. And that will really, really help you if you do get audited. Awesome. That is awesome. So put that on your to-do list. Put it to the top because you don't want that knock on the door and Homeland Security coming in with the dogs. Uh-uh. All right. Right. So we got I-9s. We got the discrimination question. Now, somebody's coming in. You know, sometimes I see these posters in break rooms. What's up with that? Talk to me about that. Oh, posters. So you do need to have certain information communicated to employees on a very visual level. So the way most of us do that is through, just as Hannah described, the posters in the break rooms. You have a couple of different options, and let me tell you why having up-to-date posters is so important. You cannot, I don't see organization after organization getting fined because they haven't purchased posters. However, think of it like a taillight being out on your car. If they want a reason to come into your organization and look around, the posters are a really easy way to do it. So you don't want to give the government an opportunity to come in. Posters, you have a few options, some of which are absolutely free. So there's just no reason not to have the right posters visible for your employees. Well, let's talk about... Lori, let's oh, be specific Sorry, about Hannah. what these posters are, because some people may not right. be familiar with them. These are not like motivational, you know, inspirational teamwork no. posters. What are they? So you are looking for posters that are from, you need two sets. Everybody listening in the U.S. needs two sets. One is the posters for the, from the federal government. And those are going to be the posters, for example, that talk about the Fair Labor Standards Act, which is how we pay employees. It's a poster that includes information about workers' compensation benefits and unemployment benefits. Those are all dictated by the federal government. If you want, well, let me talk in a minute about how to get them. Everybody also needs a set of posters that are based on their individual state. So if you're in the state of Illinois, you need the posters that are mandated by Illinois. If you're in the state of Florida, you need the Florida posters. So you have a couple of choices of how to get these. If you would like them absolutely free, you can go to the U.S. Department of Labor and just Google DOL.gov, and you will be able to download an eight and a half by 11, just printed off your regular printer of the posters that you need. It's very clear. They tell you what you need. Do the exact same thing for your state. So go to IllinoisDOL.gov, for example. I don't know if that's their exact website, but that idea. And they will have the Illinois posters you need to have. You can print all those out and put them up for free. However, What's going to happen is you're going to have a mess in your break room. Each of them mandate between four and six posters for small businesses. So what most people choose to do 
is there are many, many services where you can get those posters. They're called all-in-one posters. And what they do is on a very nice laminated, approximately 24 by 36 inch poster, they put everything that you need. You'll get one for federal and one for state. Typically it runs between $29 and $50, depending on the vendor. I'm pretty sure you can even get them from good old Amazon. Now, so get one for federal, one for your state. I recommend for the $50 to $75 investment, it's a lot easier to just put them up and have them and know you can walk away. Many of those organizations will automatically send you updates if there have been changes to the poster. So that's one of the really nice things that you're paying for. Let me talk a little bit for those who might have employees in multiple languages. The way the rule works is that if more than 20% of your workforce is primary in another language, you need the posters for them in that language. So let's talk about an environment that might have 20 employees, five of whom are Spanish-speaking as their primary language. For that organization, they would need to order the posters in Spanish as well. They would need them in both English and Spanish. If you have one person that is of a language other than English, you don't need a poster for them because they don't, they don't exceed that 20% threshold. Okay, so it's not always so easy. There are little nooks and crannies to making sure you have the right posters because depending on the composition of your workforce, one size may not fit all. So who exactly. knew? And that's why it's so right. good to consult with an HR professional just even to make sure you've got the proper framework. Now, one of the things you said this poster, the federal one mentions, is overtime and the Fair Labor Standards Act you know, if I talk to entrepreneurs and ask five of them, how do you calculate or overtime, you're going to laugh. I get five different answers. So talk to me a yep. little bit about overtime. Well, and this, Hannah, has become a major conversation because of the changes that are coming December 1st. But I'll address that in a moment. So how to calculate overtime. Unfortunately, as you talk to HR professionals, it is so important to always be consulting somebody in your state. I am going to give you the general rule right now for the country of the United States, and that is anyone who is not exempt, and I'm going to come back to that in a moment, anyone who is not exempt from overtime must be paid time and a half for any work over 40 hours a week. Now, some states like California, Nebraska, a couple of others require time and a half over eight hours a day. But let's talk, because this is a podcast with a broad reach, about the federal law. And the federal law is time and a half over 40 hours a week. You never have to pay double time. You never have to do something different on Sunday or a holiday. That is the only law regarding overtime. 
time and a half over 40 hours a week. The exception would only exist if your state has a more generous exception. So know that. Or if your Let employer has a policy that has a more generous exception. I mean, employee, an individual company can choose to pay more, but that's company specific. Yeah, they could. I, I rarely see them guaranteeing that, and most attorneys would recommend against it as a promise, but that's certainly up to your organization. Certainly I see people who may do something different on a holiday or might do something different on a Sunday. Um, and exactly. those policies bring up a whole nother, um, I actually was just sitting here reviewing an employee handbook for one of my clients and um, thought it would be quick and easy, and I have a comment on almost every policy. So you have to be really careful, and Hannah, that's a great thing that you bring up, of how these policies are written, because once you put it in writing, you have now made a promise to your employee. And if it's generous than more generous than the law, you will be obligated to comply with it in all cases. Talking about employee handbooks is a whole nother ball of wax, really. So absolutely, absolutely. To, I'm just saying people yeah. have the option, but I, I do want to stick to what you were talking about with with overtime and. Those those rules are are changing. So when it comes right. to the small business, it's probably best for individual companies to double check with their accountant or with their HR professional if they have a consultant such as yourself to make sure that going forward they are complying for the rules in their particular state. And what really is changing is the piece that I said, let's save that for a minute, and that is called an exempt employee. So for an employee to be exempt from overtime, they must meet one of five classifications under the law, and it's very specific of what they can be. They either have to be a manager, a professional person, which would be an accountant, an attorney, an engineer, and that can be a creative professional, so maybe a graphic designer or an interior designer, um, an administrative member of your team who has true decision-making authority, computer specialists who are working on computer coding, and your outside salespeople. Outside salespeople are not customer service people. They have to be people engaged in sales outside your workforce. Only those five classifications of jobs can be exempt from overtime. And what's changing December 1st is they must be paid a minimum of $47,476 a year. So make sure if you have not received information on this, you are up to date regardless of your business, it doesn't matter the size of your business. You will need to be complying. So this is a very important piece that you want to make sure that you're on top of as we talk about overtime. Because anyone under that threshold, regardless of their job, has to be paid overtime going forward. That's right. And if not, there's some ugly penalties associated with it. So I know we're starting to run out of time here. We've we've hit four out of the five things that 
typically keep business owners awake at night with the posters, the I-9s, discrimination, overtime. What's the last one, Lori? Oh, the last one is rearing its ugly head all the time now for small business, and that is anti-harassment. Anti-harassment is no longer about sexual harassment. Back in the 90s and 2000, we all were talking about sexual harassment and sexual harassment training. Now, we just talk about harassment in general. It can be anything from somebody really diminishing a coworker these days based on political views, based on their religious views, based on any personal mandate, any personal thought process, somebody can claim I'm being harassed. And the, the issue with harassment law and dealing with harassment in the workplace is that it's really all about how that person feels. So there may be something that you don't feel is a big deal. You as a business owner think it's funny or no big deal or this is how we all have fun together. But if that employee feels that the issue is so difficult for them to deal with every day, they have a claim. And so some of the ways small businesses can really protect themselves from this is one, having a very good anti-harassment policy in their handbook. Two, is being open to the conversation around, I'm not comfortable with that, and really encouraging their employees to come forward if they're not comfortable with something. One of the things many small business owners don't realize is you can be sued for harassment if you have the most wonderful workplace on earth, but that employee is being harassed by one of your customers or vendors. So you may not even know that it's going on. I say that, um, I often use the example in my presentations of somebody who is an accounts receivable person and is making phone calls for those people who owe you money. Possibly there's somebody they're calling who's very upset to receive those phone calls and is using your harassing behavior to them even over the phone. That could be a claim. So the best way to protect yourself as a small business owner is to have an important ongoing conversation in your organization that if anyone is uncomfortable about anything, you want to know about it. You may make the decision that this isn't harassment, but unless you know about it, you have no way to make that decision. So I encourage small business people not to sweep this conversation under the rug but to really be very vocal about your welfare is important to me and I want to make sure if you're not comfortable with anyone you interact with in your workday that I'm someone you can come and talk to about it. Very good. It's really important to keep that door open and not just say you have an open door policy of being willing to listen to employees, but to actually do it and evaluate the significance of what they say. I mean, not everything that they say is going to rise to that level, 
but you can't determine that or should just brush it under the rug. You really need to, to listen and make each determination individually. So, Lori, this has really been incredibly helpful. I, I'm sure that some of our listeners are surprised at the significance of some of these what seem to be minor housekeeping type of things can have on their business and on their employees. And since employees really are the heartbeat of business, that can help you grow because if your employees do well, your business does well. It's it's really the linchpin. Yeah, I encourage businesses to just take a minute and look at their P&L statement, their income statement, and think about how many of those line items are impacted by the employees who work for you. Typically, you will find somewhere between 40 and 70%. And don't just think of payroll and overtime and benefits. Think about the amount of rent you pay. And because you need three more debts for three more people who work there, think about keeping the lights on. Think about the internet service. All things that your employees impact and that you need to have because you have employees. And then take a step back and realize how important some of these things really, really are. All righty. Any parting thoughts for our listeners? No, you know, I just encourage you were kind enough at the beginning to talk about my book, HR You Can Use in the Toolkit. I know you've made some of these things available through your resources and I, you know, I, my passion is working with small business owners. So my goal is to create items for them, podcasts, webcasts, all sorts of ways we can reach out to them to be able to support the questions they have and the various needs in moving their businesses forward. Well, your passion comes through loud and clear. You want to make them more successful by helping to make HR more user-friendly so that they don't get tripped up and can use their resources to build their business instead of dealing with an EEOC claim or a lawsuit from a former employee, which is never fun and always very, very expensive and time-consuming. So I thank you so much for the way you make this accessible. And we're certainly going to have links to your books on the website, on the episode page at businessconfidentialradio.com, as well as the employee assessment. I think that's important for everyone to have access to, and we're going to provide a link to that as well on the uh, website page. So thanks so much for your time, Lori, for your tips and advice. It's really been wonderful to have you on the show. Thanks a lot, Hannah. I I look forward to staying engaged with you and your audience. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. You can get more information about today's guest and the show notes on our website, businessconfidentialradio.com. And connect with me on social media. I'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more business information and inside scoop you need to succeed in your business. Till then, 